Welcome, welcome, welcome to another installment of Horrorversary. If this is your first time checking in with this podcast, the explanation is very, very simple. We are a podcast that celebrates horror movies celebrating anniversaries. We're not going for any of the piddly five years or anything. Recently, if you go out to any Blockbuster, you can see that, or not Blockbuster, because Blockbuster's dead. I apologize. Best Buy, which is almost as dead as Blockbuster, you can find the Deadpool two-year anniversary. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. We're doing the big numbers. We're doing 10, 20, 30, 40, and sometimes 50 or 60. We're diving in to these horror movies that people know and love and some titles people maybe have forgotten about or just didn't know about. But if you know anything about the horror community, they love their movies. They will die for their movies. And so we wanted to celebrate these films by bringing on different podcasters, writers, film critics, filmmakers, film producers, television people, to come on and spend a short period of time discussing what it is that makes these movies so, so special. If you listened to the last episode, you got to hear the wonderful Scott Drebbit wax on about magic and the maniacal, crazy, wonderful skill of Anthony Hopkins. Tonight, we're going on the completely opposite side. We're going into the land of remakes, but remakes that are about as far removed as the original films as we can possibly get, because we are talking about none other than 1988's The Blob. Now, of course, when you think of The Blob, you think of the special effects, and boy, howdy, does the 1988 movie... Okay. We're still new at this, you know, we're going to finally get it where I can set up the movie before the guests come on, but this show is all about the guests. We're all about them doing whatever they want and talking about the movies. So, yeah, they can interrupt me. That That's more more than fine. Tonight's guest is a wonderful writer on the Internet that hopefully you follow if you know anything about horror because she's written just about everywhere that's important to write about horror or to write about stuff in general, or at least to me. Without further ado, please welcome Megan Navarro. How's it going, Megan? Hi, how are you? Great. Now, now I, I know that I may have blown the trumpet too much, but let the people know just a couple of the places where you've written. I've written um, Bloody Disgusting, Birth Movies Death, Modern Horrors. That's primarily where you can find my stuff. Yeah, th- those are those are three big ones. If for some reason you're somebody who follows movies or horror movies or horror news or movie news and you haven't read any of those three sites you should probably just not go onto the internet. <laughs> I, I think that's a fair assumption about. Yeah, I think so. I think you should all be reading all three of them. Yes, yes. I, I, it's as simple as that. Now, we like to start out very, very simply with an easy question. Uh, I'm actually going to ask it this week because last time Scott decided that he was just going to launch straight into telling the story, <laughs> which ruined my first question. So, Oh, no. When was the first time that you saw The Blob? The first time, I guess, build up into this, but um, I used to accompany my dad every week to the video rental days when that was a thing. 
and he would usually peruse the new release wall and I would usually always be found in the horror section because that's where all of the coolest boxes were. And so, you know, he was way too lenient on letting me pick out horror movies at too young of an age. And of course, I was drawn to this one with this like poor victim being devoured by this pink amorphous blob. And so, of course, that was the one that I chose. And it was pretty much love at first sight um, watching the movie. And it was just as epic as the cover box promised. Um, I just want to know, when you were a small child, did you actually say pink amorphous blob? Because you deserve all the points <laughs> if you did. I wish I did. No, I probably was something more along the lines of, ew, yucky, I need it. I don't know. That still works. And probably to it, this day, that that's what would sell a lot of people. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's pretty much been one of my go-to movies um, that I rented quite often. And I don't know how that I got away with it. I don't know if they, he was really paying attention or maybe the pink cover box threw him for a whirlwind. But I got to rent that a lot. And I feel like it's one that holds up no matter what age you are, really. Did he ever – do you know if he actually checked, like, the box and read the back of it or anything? Probably. Honestly, like I said, he he was really, really lenient as far as what I watched. I remember I remember like being really okay with a lot of movies. I think the one that upset me most growing up was probably Pet Cemetery and he had to pause and like talk me th- <laughs> talk me through that one. But for the most part it was like I just I guess I always grasped that monsters were not really anything serious and so the more like monster and fantasy i think the more it was easier to just pass it off that it was okay for kids to watch as far as my dad was concerned well well, at least you had a parent that was involved in it i revealed on another podcast um that i did for some friends that's going to come out in july uh that i would actually switch movies oh how um, funny at, at a video store years ago because they near where i grew up they had a uh, it, w- it wasn't like a grocery store, but it was kind of a bigger drugstore, kind of oh. like in the blob. Uh, but they had a section of it where they had just a couple walls of movies just like tucked in a corner. They had the old little plastic um, little cases and mm-hmm. you could pull it out and you take it up front and they would give you basically like a brown clamshell. Uh-huh. And so you could look at a couple different movies. And so what I would do is I would act like I was looking at a couple and I would switch the movies and then would be like, oh, I don't actually want this one. And then would take the R-rated one when my mom wasn't watching. Oh, how funny. So that's that, that's how I got to see some of these movies. But for, for the people who for some reason are listening to this and haven't watched The Blob, uh, in as few words as possible, how would you describe it to them? Uh, well, it's a remake of the 1958 movie, I guess more loosely, but it's basically a, a big pink amorphous blob that devours flesh and crash lands to Earth, and a uh, spunky cheerleader is the only thing to get in its way. I I agree with everything except for I think you left out probably one of the most vital aspects to this movie. Kevin Dillon's hair? Yes. <laughs> the 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 at times it looks like a perm bullet but there's yes. other moments where it's not as curly but it's still very bullet like oh it's so bad it's you know my love for the blob basically is the one reason that i forgive that haircut 
Like, in no other context would this haircut fly, but because it's in the blob, I will live with it-ish. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I think you've described um, most of the hairdos in about 75% of 80s horror films. Yeah, but I feel like Kevin Dillon's in the running for, like, the worst out of all of them. I mean, it's definitely the most memorable. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that's also partially because of the fact that um, his or starting out his heroic moment is trying to uh, jump that gap. Yes. <laughs> and the, and the hobo laughs at him. Exactly. That, that's how you know if you have hair like that and a hobo laughs at you, you should probably rethink the majority of your life decisions. I was listening to uh, the audio commentary on like the Twilight edition of the blob and uh i guess that was really chuck russell's idea and he's he said you know he was you know like kevin dylan's character is supposed to be this kind of adventurous rocker rebellious type and so he pushed for this haircut and he said that kevin dylan still gives him the side eye to this day about that haircut so <laughs> it kind of makes me feel a little better about it too no not i i'm oh, sorry <laughs> i was just gonna say not even kevin dylan's really thrilled about it I don't think anybody would if, if that was forced upon you. Now, I do want to give people a warning that if you are one of those few people who has not seen this movie, pause this right here and go watch the movie. It's available anywhere. There's multiple different Blu-rays. Um, if you're a DVD person, there's a couple DVDs like that. But you can go on to basically any streaming service and buy it. And it's usually, usually relatively cheap compared to the other prices of horror films. You can usually find it on sale for like five to seven bucks. And this is very much worth it. But I wanted to jump in. You did mention the name of Chuck Russell. And the team that was behind this movie was, first of all, amazing. And yep. then was crazy for, like, how young they were. Because Chuck Russell, who directed the film, was just coming off of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which was a big hit. And he turned 30 during the post-production of this film. He, of course teamed yes. up with somebody that he co-wrote Nightmare on Elm Street 3 with and Frank Darabont who was I want to say like 29 at the time yeah he was 29 and then the special effects were done by uh, Tony Gardner who was 23 at the time but lied and said that he was 25 <laughs> yes it was his first time I guess running the makeup shop actually so yeah they were all really young to Hollywood I, I, it's just, it, it's astounding to think that for them to be that young and to be able to, to pull this off and then see kind of the different directions that some of their careers end up going in. For sure. I feel like this definitely is kind of like the groundation of it. I mean, Frank Darabont for sure, because a lot of what makes the blob work so well is their character work. You know, they made these characters so real and likable um, and they kind of pull the rug out from under you a few times with these characters. And obviously that's something that Frank Darabont does a lot again and again, you know, between the mists and, you know, the walking dead. It's like the, the core seedling was there in the blob for sure. Now, what do you think accounts for the blobs longevity? I know you touched on it a little bit with the characters, but is that what separates it or is it just a, a whole bunch of elements coming together? I think it's a lot of elements. Um, I mean, for starter, the, I think the biggest component of it is the character work. Um, 
I mean, you've got kind of like this Hitchcock move in the beginning where you have this, you know, really cute jock, Paul. He's wooing the the cheerleader, Meg Penny, which is Shawnee Smith. And you think that he's going to be the hero. He's going to be the Steve McQueen of this remake. And then not even a third through, uh, you know, Chuck Russell and Darabont just literally pull the rug out from under you by being like, just kidding. He's getting a horrifically hideous death. And then it just kind of the baton passes over to Meg and it kind of follows that same path that they had just come off of with Nightmare on Elm Street 3 in which it's basically the kids that are the heroes and the, the adults just don't even really understand and don't believe them. And so it's really up to the youth to kind of, you know, put this amorphous blob in its place and save the town. So I feel like first and foremost, for sure, it's the characters. Um, I think it's also their ability to keep you guessing because the the movie constantly makes you re- like realize nobody's safe. No good guy is safe. It's mostly these these really nice people that are getting devoured. And then the special effects are amazing. So I feel like it's kind of those three, you know, perfect trifecta that that makes the blob like really hold up all these years later. I, I kind of love what you touched upon with Shawnee Smith's character, because it's something, of course, like you mentioned, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 has it. But then also the same year as this you have in Halloween 4, where you have you normally have the final girls, but these girls are extremely smart and they're extremely resourceful when it comes to going we're, we're going to take this we're not really going to be defeated by the situation we're going to try to do everything we can to move forward and it feels like that's something we kind of forget about in the 80s that you had this kind of take charge sense for sure um i really loved you know what shawnee smith did with meg penny because she wasn't she was still feminine you know she was still the cute cheerleader that just wanted to have that date with the hot you know football player but she also was the only one willing to stand up to, you know, Brian Flagg, like Kevin Dillon's character. <laughs> she's she's putting him in his place when he's, you know, everybody else wants to write him off and arrest him and think he's crazy. And she's she's kind of like not only getting him in line, but the whole town. Like, it's you just and that she's feminine on top of that just makes her one of like horror's most underrated final girls of all time, in my opinion. And then she definitely cashes in on it, you know, decades later. <laughs> yeah, I almost feel like, uh, well, maybe it is. I don't know if it's ever been verified, but James Wan had a crush on her, you know, when he was younger. And so that's how she got the role in Saw. And I like to think that it's Blob that, you know, introduced <laughs> him to her. I feel like she was a crush for a lot of young men in the 80s. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the deaths, of course. Um, I, I, w- when people think about remakes, they always kind of feel like people are going to stay in line. And The Blob is very much a kind of a loose remake. And mm-hmm. what helps it set it apart is how, I, I guess, fun, but also mean-spirited. So vicious. Are. Yeah. there. I feel like that's... You know, when I was younger, that's the thing that reeled me in. And then, you know, the character stuff came as I got older. But the deaths, holy crap. I mean, like the first one, of course, is the gruesome homeless guy, you know, but he's homeless. You kind of don't think much of it. (laughs) And uh, 
And then Paul, like you think he's going to be the hero and he literally gets like this, this amorphous blob looks like it might be some jello gone wrong until you realize it's like dissolving the flesh of whoever it's eating. And it's, uh, that, that, that image of, of him pushing through it just, it stays yes. with you. Yes. And then poor girl is trying to save him. And, you know, all she gets is his arm as the thing walks away with the rest of his or oozes away with the rest of his body. And yeah, that one was really good. But even then, it's like it was still small. And as it got bigger and bigger, it got crazier and crazier. It's like each death got progressively like gnarlier, you know, from the sink um, I don't know about you, but I never want to clear a kitchen sink ever after this movie. It's so uh, fast when it sucks him down. Like, it's not like a slow, gradual thing. Like, it's just whoop and nope, it's done. It's yeah, done. It's, you get just enough for him to see it on his fingers to be like, what is this gross stuff? And then boom, <laughs> toast. Uh, and and again, it goes back to because right after that, you know, the poor waitress who's been flirting with the town sheriff, um, she gets out and you think she's free and she stops at the phone booth. And then she gets a horrible death only, you know, and then you see her would be lover that that she's calling for help is actually being dissolved in the body, like in the body as it's. Yeah, it's it's harrowing and it's grotesque and it's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just kind of a reminder that like all of the early deaths that you're watching, all of them are really nice people. It's not like the slasher tropes where it's like, okay, well, the mean girl is going to get it the jerk jock's going to get it. And then, you know, it's like a play by play. You have no idea who's going to go in the blob. Plus the, the, they have that, like I said, the mean sense of humor that's put into it with with the sink that you were talking about. But uh, of course, nowadays it doesn't play as well until the person gets their comeuppance when the guy's in the car and decides, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get a feel on the girl right here. Oh yeah. (laughs) guy. But the way that they have it turn on him, it's still comical in how vicious it is. Like, you you have to try to hold back the chuckles while it's happening. Oh, for sure. I feel like that's also what makes The Blob so great, is that if you're going to have a movie about a killer pink blobby thing it's you can't take it too seriously you kind of have to play with it and i feel like chuck russell definitely knows when to to tune into the humor and when to pull it back and actually create suspense so i agree completely with that do you have a certain signature standout scene that like you always have in your mind and was something that you'd be like watch this this is going to sell you on the blob to people God, that's hard um, because I feel like any one of those deaths could be amazing. Um, but I think all you really need, like I said, is Paul's death, that slow suspense of, you know, something's going wrong from the moment they bring, you know, the homeless guy in and it's on his hand. And then just the way you kind of see little bits of it lurking back screen, you know, behind, well, you know, in the room while they're sitting in the waiting room and it's slowly building, building the suspense before she gets that punch in the face of, wow, your date's <laughs> dead. Um, I, honestly, I feel like just the first 15, 20 minutes is all you need to really, this movie's amazing. If you were yeah. to turn it off after 20 minutes, I'd still think it was amazing, but 
uh, everything. Yeah, I feel like the Paul, the whole hospital slash Paul scene. That's the one like above and beyond hook line sinker. That'll get anybody hooked. For I, I know that um, it's something that people are well aware of on on the internet, but. Um, one of the Alamo Draft House PSAs that they have is the theater scene with the blob. Oh yes, yes, yes. And that's that's the one that I always want to show people. Like I just show them the PSA and be like, no, that. But I'd show them directly before that too because what stands out to me is not only did they decide that they were going to have it be in a, a theater and they were going to have you know the noisy person is the person who gets plucked up, <laughs> but they spend the time creating that damn fake movie yes they did it's and they're playing poking fun at the slashers while they're doing it um yeah i think that i really you could you could show any major death scene in this movie (laughs) it is interchangeable like the theater scene is amazing it sets up uh the whole kid thing in the sewer it's got the most i mean i almost feel like that poor theater projectionist is <laughs> the one who gets the worst death i mean when they show him with the yo-yo from the ceiling like <laughs> that might even be more grotesque than poor paul uh, i i don't i don't know that they're all pretty um evil yeah. and terrible but but you it, you get so much joy out of it it is it's <sighs> I know it sound I sound like a horrible person to say like wish fulfillment, but this is almost like a wish fulfillment type horror movie. Like, there's no sense of, well, knock on wood, realism. Um, it's just pure like monster creature feature. Um, we don't really get much of those anymore, but it's grounded with the characters in the sense that anybody could die, and it's also got like a nice wink to the audience with its humor. So. Yeah, this movie's the best. <laughs> so you're one of the people who's totally okay with the the reveal in the third act? Uh, I am, actually. I feel like that's the moment where they, you know, Chuck Russell and Darabont really tried to make it their own. Um, I think they tried to, you know, kind of bring it more into the 80s and in the theme with the political climate of the time and separate it further from what they were doing in the 50s you know i i don't really mind twists like that it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other i think it worked more for the authority bucking authority as far as all of these people from the government coming along and and it just gives more um friction between meg and rebellious brian so it works for me and they and as you you mentioned wish fulfillment, they definitely get their comeuppance as well. Oh, for sure, yeah. And who doesn't want to see that? Like these <laughs> people show up in the government. Oh, here they are in hazmat suits and whatever. They're gonna yeah. It's not them who saves the day, is it? No, no. it's the cheerleader <laughs> Use, using using a, a snow machine. Yes, and which also brings, you know, brings up the fact that they're really, really good about setting these things up early on, you know, like, it's it's a, such a minor scene that you think is kind of setting up Brian Flagg's character, and it does, you know, where he's in the shop and he's borrowing tools while, while the shop owner's complaining about how, like, snow isn't coming around to bring in the tourists like it should, and it's like such a small, insignificant thing with a massive payoff at the end. And I just think that's brilliant. 
do you think there's a, a modern counterpart to the blob or, or this version of the blob i mean we haven't had really had any sequels but it feels like there's dna of other movies in there and do you if there is a type of counterpart how, what do you think it does better than this movie and what do you think it doesn't do quite as well oh that is tough i don't know if I mean, as far as stuff that came after, I feel like Phantoms reminds me a lot of that. Like 98, was that 98-ish? Like Dean Koontz's Phantoms uh, obviously did not do it nearly as well as The Blob <laughs> did. No. Uh, but no, I feel like The Phantoms could have been a really good movie. So yeah, I don't know that anything I can think of really f- feels like The Blob. Um Character work, like I said, with Darabont, um, something like The Mist kind of has a little bit of DNA. Yeah. It definitely has a lot of that character um, emphasis that I think that, that came from The Blob. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, that's that. usually when, when people like try to compare movies, you can think of different ones. So that, that's pretty good and, and speaks to how, you know, special and kind of encapsulated this film is that there's not really a lot that kind of follow with it. And when I was trying to think about an answer earlier, all I could think of is like, well, you'd have to add elements of this movie and a small right. smidge of this. And cause if you put like this, um, night of the creeps and society in a blender, you get <laughs> basically uh, slither. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Um, but there at is the same a time, that's, that, that you have to kind of go off in a weird direction. Yeah, there's nothing quite... And, you know, I don't know if anybody really tried to emulate it because as as much as it boggles my mind, this did not <laughs> perform nearly as well as it should have. I mean, it was released in the summer of 88, you know, but this was... I mean, I think it did well enough and it definitely found an audience once it hit the home video and kind of cable cycle. But maybe because it wasn't a runaway success that nobody really tried to emulate it because towards the end of the decade, it started to shift. You know, horror started to kind of change from the early 90s on. So maybe that's also why we don't really have creature features very often anymore. So... I don't know. Maybe that's also contributing to why we never really got something like quite like this again. Yeah, that, the the end of the '80s seemed like kind of a, a weird time. That you have you remember movies fondly because of having you know they're all readily available now. Yeah. So it's hard to think of a time where the movie didn't really you know do great or wasn't a film that everybody was going oh the blob 88 oh it's so great isn't it oh man it's so much fun and like you said it didn't do well it was a movie that cost around 19 million dollars to make and it only made just under nine at the box office and it it seems weird because it does have lots of elements that you think people would you know easily gravitate to it you know you'd have some kids who are just hitting 17 who are like go to see it on a whim and tell other friends, oh man, you gotta see this. It's just <laughs> crazy, and it's I, I don't. Know. We're lucky that it ended up having such a cult following. For sure, um, I guess we're lucky in a lot of ways. I mean, things like the thing were, you know, maligned at the theater and took years for people to come around. So, 
Um, obviously, the blob isn't quite on that level for people, but it totally should be. Uh, hint, Scream, Factory, Arrow. Could somebody put out a really snazzy release? Um, that's kind of my biggest wish. Could somebody please really load up the special features? Because this movie really deserves it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was the whole concept is hard to sell for the blob as well. I mean, it's, it's this basic pink amorphous thing <laughs> that, I mean, I guess is a metaphor for fear. Fear could take any shape, um, you know, whatever fe- you're afraid of. That's what this could potentially be. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's an anomaly, I guess. It is. And like we, we keep on going back to the character bits, but I, I think it's important because in any 80s movie, you have the gradual buildup. The blob kind of does away with some of the gradual buildup. And it's like, we're going to get to what you want right away. But you, you've you got on any number of great character actors who have bit parts in it, of course. Um, why am I going to blank on his first name now? I feel so terrible. Uh, Paul McCrane yes. is in it. And then, yeah. but my, my special shout out is to Art LaFleur. Art LaFleur. Oh, yes. Yeah, who plays the dad and has the the great scene at the drugstore (laughs) and then at the house. It's just, it's those character moments just... And that's what I mean about the payoff. It's like that cute little scene with the condoms (laughs) has great, like, payoff not that long (laughs) after. Yeah, that was brilliant. Uh, I agree. Um, Jeffrey DeMunn, you know, as Sheriff yes. Herb Geller, who obviously <laughs> more people are familiar with as Dale from The Walking Dead. Um, he was so great as the sheriff. Like, he that was such a nice guy. You, you rooted <laughs> for him. Um, people blink and you miss him. Bill Mosley yeah. is as one of the s- soldiers in the sewer that I... I feel like that's the worst for me. Like if I were to watch this um, from the lens of like a filmmaker and an actor, I would not want to be in that sewer, that water. So bravo to all of them who went there. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of people. Paul Paul McCrane, a deputy, he had one of the worst deaths too. And it wasn't even nearly as grotesque. I mean, he just got snapped in half. But but that's that's just that's his life basically. He he always has terrible deaths. He's got the terrible death in RoboCop, in ER. He has the terrible death. It's it's just his life to <laughs> not make it out of movies. He was the oh god, come on, I can do this because I love the man. He was the Sean Bean before Sean Bean. Yes, on like he's more eighties quirky uh, Sean Bean. I like it. <laughs> if he's in a movie, he's gonna die. You just. No, it's a matter of time. <laughs> and really badly. It's interesting, with, with the cult following this movie has, how kind of the differing paths that people took. Of course, Darbont goes on and has a hugely successful career. Um, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that at all. But Chuck Russell has such a weird turn. He's got Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He goes and does this. He kind of lays low for a couple years, then has the mask, which <laughs> might have differing opinions on it, but it made a lot of money, and it's definitely a movie that people remember. He follows that up with an Arnold Schwarzenegger film in Eraser. Yeah. Then, years later, does The Scorpion King, and for those people 
who are cinema masochists, you might want to check out a movie from two years ago that's called I Am Wrath, starring John Travolta. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it is terrible. Like, it, it's, it's a movie where somebody said, hey, you know those things called movie tropes? We should make a movie that relies entirely on nothing but those. And then they take it. Oh, no, he directed it. But did he write it, too? No, I don't don't know. But I mean, he had he had his hands on it. So he's it's complete. Whereas like the blob can have wink and nods and you go along with it. And like the humor works. It's not the same with I am Raph. You're laughing at it because of how bad it is. But I always try to sell people on it. Maybe I'll sell you on it. It has one of the best Gonzo roles it, it, to me in like the last decade um, by Christopher Maloney. Oh, and okay. It, but the entire reason why is it doesn't feel like he's in the same movie. Okay, now I'm intrigued. I, I mean, John Travolta is not a sell for me no. at all. But Christopher Maloney, okay. Christopher Maloney is making choices in the film that are flying in the face of everyone he he shares a scene with. Like, you can't tell if he's (sighs) trying to make things a comedy or it's just the movie that he's concocted in his head is totally different. Line deliveries that he have aren't matching when he's with John Travolta. He's got little decisions where he's like, uh, instead of like just crouching and then popping out and shooting people... I'm going to crouch and then pivot to get from position to position with my gun. He's making facial gestures that make no sense. It's a thing of beauty just because it does like everything around him is just so pedestrian and laughably bad. And yet he's he's a thing of beauty. That does sound amazing. Um, I feel like I do need to watch this and I might have choice words after for you. That's depending okay. on how this goes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. If you need to have choice words with somebody, though, you need to have choice words with Chuck Russell. Because yeah. it, there's plenty of 80s directors, people who made horror films in the 80s, who have notoriety because of whatever the one to two films uh, that they made. And then they have basically the decency to just disappear. You know, I almost wonder if it's the type of, um, you know, Hollywood has that whole cliche of chewing people up and spitting them out. I mean, he came to Hollywood with the idea for the blob. He wanted yeah. to do this. He was in love with this idea. And this is this was his baby. And, you know, from there, it didn't quite do as well. So maybe he ended up, you know, like his partnership with Frank just kind of they they branched out and did their you know, two different paths. And from there, he just Hollywood kind of chewed him up and spit him out. And that's why he's doing things like the mask and eraser and Scorpion King. Uh, I don't know. I I hope. I mean, but at the same time, there's so many directors that when they haven't had uh, the type of movie that you could normally like piece together for them or be like, Oh, this, this is a film that Chuck Russell would do. When you've got the blob and you've got nightmare on Elm street three, you're like, okay, I can see that. And I understand the idea of wanting to branch out, but then you always have those directors years later go, you know what? I'm going to return back to horror. It's my roots. It's what I love and jump back into it. And he hasn't really gone that route. So I'm not sure what, what like th- where the roadblock was. 
I don't know. Come back to horror, Chuck. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's that's what you need to do. I mean, I know there's been rumors circulating for a while about remaking the Blob again, and I don't I don't think you, he needs to do that. He's already proven he nailed it. But do something. I mean, we need uh, more character driven fun horror that they don't quite i mean not that there's no fun horror now but there's yeah. the 80s is a totally different type of fun horror that that's not really around anymore so come on back chuck the invitation's open i have no say in hollywood but <laughs> but come but on back try. anyway you're trying Oh, I, I, I do feel bad because I did uh, miss out on, on one movie that I forgot to mention, which I guess maybe was his attempt to return. But um, I guess he did Bless the Child. I have never actually seen that. Um, so I don't know if I'm missing out. I'm feeling like it's a no. Yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's a movie where, where uh, your leads are uh, Kim Basinger. Um, and a lethargic Jimmy Smith. Oh boy. Lethargic being the key word because you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, everybody knows and everybody loves Jimmy Smith, but you can tell when Jimmy Smith doesn't really want to be in a production because yeah. he just kind of sighs and mumbles his words as opposed to having a glint in his eye and mumbling his words. I, I love you, Jimmy Smith. I know that you're not listening to this, but I, I just want to say that you're wonderful. <laughs> what is Frank Darabont doing? Maybe we need to somehow arrange for a mute cute between Darabont and Chuck Russell. Maybe that's Again? the magic that's missing. Is it, isn't Frank just like sleeping on piles of money? Probably. So go do something fun with that money and uh, have a... 80s throwback about an another amorphous blob. I don't know, but he uh, I, he I, the Walking. I don't watch it. The Walking Dead's still on the air, right? It, yeah, I don't think for long, from what okay, I've heard. So, so, so he's that, that he's fine. I know that he's not directly involved, but I know he's still getting money from it. So, mm. um, that there you go. He's he's fine. He's he's Frank Darabont. He's he's fine. So, yeah, you know, Chuck Russell can go to him. There, there you <laughs> go. You know, we'll... Make it happen, guys. Whatever you need to do. <laughs> Darabont, you're probably bored in retirement. Chuck Russell, we need some more 80s throwbacks that are, they don't even have to be 80s throwbacks, but the two between, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and The Blob, which are so closely, those could be a perfect double feature. Between the two of them, do something similar, guys. That's a good point. I know what the answer to this question is going to be, but I still have to ask. Um, having rewatched the blob, do you feel that it's still worthy of you know the reverence that people have towards it, or does it feel like slowly but surely that shine is starting to fade? Uh, negative. It's it's not. It's still shiny. Um, okay. <laughs> there are a couple of effects for sure that are are starting to show their seams a bit. Um, namely. You know, when there's like a shot in the kind of big finale where Kevin Dillon just kind of runs in front of it and <laughs> stops and and it's kind of cheesy. Um, and then there's a couple of other shots that are similar where there's obviously kind of animation placed over the shot that looks displaced. But other than that, I mean, really, you, you can't do that with CG. It's just... Mm -hmm. 
Um, something that Chuck Russell had mentioned in his commentary when I was kind of rewatching this for like the hundredth time <laughs> is that when you're doing CG, you kind of have to really, really plot to make it feel organic. And I mean, I love like some of the, the 90s movies that that's where like the CG really started to take off over practical effects, but it doesn't age well. No. So... Um, things like Deep Rising, which is a creature feature. It is amazing. <laughs> you you go back and watch it and you're like, this would be so epic without like the really dated CG. And that's kind of something that, that the blob, it, it ages so much better. So like while some of these effects don't hold up, um, for the most part it does. And, and that has a lot to do with, you know, Lyle Conway's creature design is and creature effects are fantastic. Tony Gardner's makeup effects are fantastic. You know, the scene in the in the phone booth, which, you know, oh, hopefully if you're listening, you know what a phone booth is. But um, it, that that's crazy. And that's because it's practical. It's like you can't even tell when the miniature takes over versus, you know, the puppet build up to it. Um, yeah, I feel like because it's practical, even if some of the seams show it's pretty minor. So between some of the practical shots and Kevin Dillon's awful, awful hair, for the most part, it's it's a pretty timeless movie. I, I, so do, I, com- I do completely agree with you, um, even though I do feel a little bit saddened by the fact that you basically called Treat Williams um, a bad CGI. So... <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is, it, is, is that not what you meant about Deep Rising? Oh, my my bad. My bad. <laughs> I guess I guess a little bit him, yes. Uh, <laughs> mostly I, the creature, but yes. he, he applies too. Uh, Kevin Dillon is much more serviceable than Treat Williams. And that's not something I ever thought I would say in my entire life. So th- there you go. And now you've said it. I've, I force you to say the unthinkable. It's okay. It's okay. I, I probably <laughs> deserve it. Um, I, I want to thank you for coming on here, but before we finish, where can the people on the internet find you? And do you have anything that you've done recently or that you are working on that you want people to go out and read or take a look at? Um, yes, I can be found, uh, sometimes on birth movies, death and definitely modern Um, but primarily, uh, I write for bloody disgusting and I have two, weekly columns. I mean, I write for them often, but, um, I do have two weekly columns. And if you are a fan of the blob, which you should be, um, otherwise you're crazy and you're a monster and I don't think we can be friends. Um, but I do an eighties, uh, creature feature weekly column called it came from the eighties, um, which I, you know, put special spotlight on a weekly basis on different creatures from eighties horror films and the special effects behind them. That's that's wonderful. It, it, it's almost like it, it ties directly back into this. It does. This is this is my jam. <laughs> well, but but thank you very much. And what are the last words that you want to impart on people when it comes to the Blob from 1988? Um, thank you for having me, first of all. And I I really want people to watch this movie and embrace this movie. And then you can talk to me about it. Um, If for any reason you don't like it, I will convert you some way, somehow. Um, This movie, 
is not nearly as loved as I mean, it is loved, but it's not nearly as loved as it should be. So that's my mission in life. Love the blob. Embrace the amorphous pink thing. (laughs) I I couldn't have said it better. Maybe someone magically listens to this and goes, you know what? We've got a rep theater in town. We need to have a 30th anniversary showing of this movie. And we can say that it'll, it'll all be thanks to you. Yes, or Dear Arrow or Scream Factory, if you are listening, and you should be, uh, if you could do me a solid and give us a really nice loaded special edition, I will be internally grateful. You know someone from Arrow is sitting there going, I, I think that movie's too classy for us. No, it's not. It's it's all it's it's for everybody. Every age level, every, you know, walks of life can love the blob. So, and besides on the, um, you know, on, online by reading your articles, where can people find you on? Do you have Twitter, Instagram, anything like that? Yes, I do have Twitter at uh, Haunted Meg. For, for only the people who want to say how much they love the blob, correct? Yeah, everybody loves the blob. I don't, I don't think I can accept okay. any, any other answer. So, yes. <laughs> That, that works. That works. Um, you can find me at Yo Adrian Taurus. Um, you can also find everything that's going on for the Horrorversary, which will become a lot more active as we put out all these episodes and start discussions at Horrorversary. At the same time, if you want to find any writing by me, you can go on to boomhowdy.com. Um, I've got a lot going on this summer. There's going to be a whole bunch of pieces that I'm doing on there. Because it's the summer and I have no life. I mean, I, I, I do, but it, it's usually not, you know, not tied to movies. So that, that's why I'm doing this. That, that's all I got. Um, thank you once again, Megan. Um, thank you. Okay, everybody, try to be good to each other out there. Go buy some ice cream and watch the blob outside. There's an idea.